Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. I am your grateful host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode is the fourth and final track session given to us from Real Life Ministries. They've been sharing with us about relational discipleship and international missions. For today's episode, Jim Putman from Real Life Church joins them again for the conversation which is about building teams to carry out the mission of making disciples of Jesus internationally. They take us through who they're looking for, what roles they would fill, and how they equip and unify these people. Let's hear from Dave and Janelle Campbell, along with Jim Putman, one more time about relational discipleship in international missions. Here we go. Okay. So we're going to kind of wrap up the four sessions with uh, you know, the topic, discipleship-focused international missions. We've gone through a little bit of the why, the why we do it that way, the what it looks like, the how to do it, and, and we're going to camp here on this session with who, talking about like on both ends of the street, who are, who's going to do this and who's going to be a part of that team, and then who are we going to do it with, and, and what would that look like, and, and what kind of characteristics do we look like there? So uh, some people have not attended other sessions, so just real quickly, we're going to run through the why, and you guys all know this, you're ready for the final exam. So why do we want to, why would we say we want to have discipleship-focused international missions? What's the main reason? Jesus did it, we need to do it too. Jesus, that's a good reason, right? Jesus did it, we need to do it too. And just to make sure we knew that, he told us to do it, right? Go and make disciples. So we know that. We know that as we do that, I can't define disciple any old way that I want to. But I have to, if he said go and make disciples, I actually have to look at his definition of disciple, the word, God's definition of disciple, and, and follow that, his message and model. And so we use Matthew 4.19 for that of saying, a disciple is somebody, when Jesus said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That a disciple is a follower of Jesus, imitator of Jesus, being transformed to be more like Jesus and be on mission with Jesus and to, and to reproduce and make more disciples, right? Um, we, have, we have a disciple-making process that you know, we see in the Bible. We want to follow that. That's a whole other workshop. But uh, we have DS1, Discipleship 1. Uh, how many of you have attended one of those? Awesome. Where did you go to one? Okay. okay, yeah, and you guys have done a few, huh? Yeah, so yeah, I would encourage the rest of you to, to think about that. Uh, you can go to rdn1.com and see they have those, just a two-day intensive discipleship training around the country. They're in different parts of the country, so they make them easier to get to. And then we said, uh, also there needs to be a process, a system, and we want to just imitate Jesus' model of how he made disciples, want to set up our teams to do the same thing that uh, you know we, we're not trying to invent a new way to do it in fact we want to we want to discourage ourselves from doing that like if I invent something new on, on a way to make disciples I can pretty much be guaranteed that that's not as good as what Jesus has already come up with right so I want to imitate rather than invent and we'll go we'll go over some of this a little bit as we go but now we want to start on the the who. Like, okay, if we're committed, we understand that's our mandate to have discipleship as the, the focus of our local, regional, national, and international 
church and mission. We understand that. We understand what that will look like, following Jesus' methods. We've, we've started to build a process and to shift to doing that. Then a big question is, is who do we do that with on our end? Like, who is on my team? And, and, and you know, maybe you're a senior pastor, maybe you're a missions pastor, maybe you're a missionary. You're part of a team. And so who is going to be that support? Who is going to be your... your, uh, your your co-laborers in the field, and who is who are going to be the pastors that you do this with? And so, what are you looking for? Because, like, uh, tell me your name again. Norman. Sorry. Norman. Norman. Like Norman was sharing, like right now in Japan, he's he's looking for a pastor that would want to do that with him. So, what characteristics and qualities do we look for? Uh, how do we know that that's the right person? So we're going to ask Jim to kind of kick us off on that. Jim has a, an amazing gift of being able to read people, identify people, especially, I think, to, to recognize leadership qualities and maturity levels, things like that. Not all of us have a natural gift for that, but we can, we can hone in, uh, you know, prayerfully hone in on, okay, how do I assess this? How do I make those decisions? So whatever you want to share with us on that, Jim. Um, well, when, when we start to get to the who, there's, there's several who's we could look at. Um, you know, this is always my belief. I remember Jesus, in, you know, go to Acts, he says you're going to go to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then the ends of the earth, right? And it, my way of understanding it is it's going to start in Jerusalem as you make disciples. It's going to spread to Judea. And then it's going to spread to Samaria, and then it's going to spread. To, so it's not skip Jerusalem to go to Judea in hopes that Judea will want something we don't actually haven't done in Jerusalem. It's out of the overflow of one, it moves to the other, right? And so I think if you're actually making disciples that make disciples, and you're being present with those that God has given you, um, you're multiplying people with a voice. You're not, you know, and their job isn't to go bring somebody else to you, but you're actually um, equipping them, discipling them to go wherever they go. Uh, There is a natural um, spreading that happens. A lot of times people want to put it on the radio or the Internet. You know, Jesus, it spread throughout the entire world without the Internet, without the radio, without the printing press, without, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. How did that happen? So a, a, a disciple would, you know, accept Christ and be discipled, and then wherever they went, in fact, you go back to uh, Matthew 28, he's, he's, you know, we say, go therefore in all the world and make disciples. That's not what it literally says. It says, as you go, make disciples. So there's this, you're a believer, you understand what you are, you've been discipled, you see, you chosen to be a disciple and someone's chosen to disciple you you're in, in the ways of Jesus following being changed by committed mission of and so you still live and work in all these spheres of your life but wherever you go you're on mission now as that happens uh, the voice of Christ the, the work of Christ the spirit of Christ it, it is spread and now there's doors that open or don't open does that make sense to you and so being something leads to being given the opportunity. The Bible says that, you know, that we're to live wisely amongst unbelievers and then make the most of every opportunity. Notice what happens when you live wisely. Be ready to give an answer 
the Bible says. You know, answer for what? For the hope that you have. So you're living in a specific way that opens a door to them asking. Does that make sense? They're asking. We're not standing on the corner shouting. We're living in such a way that they see something in us, that we're, we're doing works of service. We're looking for needs and meeting needs because I'm on mission for Christ. As I meet your needs, it's one of the things that has always um, encouraged me is you go back to Acts or, uh, chapter 2, and it says that they, they were 3,000 were baptized in one day. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, the prayer, sold their possessions of goods to give to whoever I need. They met in the temple courts from house to house, you know. And, and then it says at the end, it says, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He's not just talking about enjoying the favor of the believers. He's talking about all the people. It's really hard to hate somebody that just loves you, cares about you, and sells their stuff to take care of you. And, and so there's, there's living a life of a mature disciple um, in every area. If you're a, a, a master, a, a boss, or an employee, to live your life in such a way that you do it as unto the Lord, you treat that person in a specific way out of respect for God, out of reverence for Christ, you submit therefore one to another. Jesus plays a part in every part of your life. So every part of your life, you walk with Jesus in that place, and that opens the doors to conversations. And so in our church, what we do is we go, what are the needs in our community? And how do we rally believers to meet those needs? Well, the school needs chaperones. Okay. The school needs painting. The school needs, you know, the, 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 you know whatever it is, we're going to meet the needs in the name of Jesus. And, and then pretty soon people start calling you when there's a problem. A lot of us go, they have to come to us. They got to clean themselves up and come to us. No, we're going to go to them. The Bible, our vision statement is we're going to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Our job is to be a launching pad into the community, into the needs. And then when we meet those needs, people start going, why are you doing this? Hmm, it's funny you should ask. Right? And wherever you are on the planet, a need exists. Well, we want them to, to want their spiritual need met. A lot of times before their spiritual need is going to be open to you, their physical need has to be. So how do we launch out and meet needs? I may not get the opportunity to preach the gospel today in, with my mouth, but I can care and open a door and, and do something in the name of Jesus and just look for opportunities. That, that's always there. And if you skip that step, and just go to, I want a conversation, you've missed an important step in opening up the door to conversations. Is that making sense to you? So, um, who is a disciple? All of us. What is the mission work of a disciple? Again, I'm not interested in social, just, you know, feeding somebody. And for me, they're going to be hungry again. I want to feed them, though, as a doorway to, at some point, being able to talk about the most important need. So I'm not just about, but there are needs in every country, would you agree? And who, who meets those needs? Either nobody, a lot of times non-Christians will even meet those needs. Christians just want to judge how you came to be in need. You're, you, were, you did this to yourself. Straighten yourself out. No, we'll go meet you where you're at. That's how Jesus did it. Would you agree? Okay, so now, 
teaching the people in the community. Like if I have to go dig the wells for the, the Ugandans, um, because and the Ugandans are sitting there going, come and take care of us. Americans, when it, what we're really saying, God is really saying, we can't do it by ourselves. We don't have anything God's blessed us with, so we can't actually help anybody. So now we go around them and start doing their work for them. We get to be the heroes. They don't get to grow and step out. So who are we going to work with? We're going to we're going to work with churches because we want it, the church is God's plan A. The local church is God's plan A. That was the, the entity that was supposed to be his hands and feet in that community. Why aren't they doing it? Either can't or aren't trained. Or... Okay, so let's say you're right. They can't dig the well. They don't have the equipment. But there's still a need there that they could fulfill. It may not be water, but there's things they can do. Isn't it true that God has given every one of us something to do? We have good works which God planned for us to do in whatever country we're in. Well, why aren't they ministering to their community? Why are they just gathering in a place, not launching from a place? Expecting someone to do it for them? Well, that's America too, right? That's why we do it over here. They all gather in a place they want to be fed. They're consumers. Feed me spiritually. Entertain me. Teach me. You know? A, a disciple, a person hasn't been discipled uh, into maturity if they're waiting for somebody else to do it for them. If they're, if they're just gathering, they, then they were maybe converted, but they were never discipled. Because they were called, they were saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, so that no man should boast, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned for them to do before time began. We are equipped, equippers, to build up the body of Christ as each part does its work. Okay, well, if everybody's just attending, and they're not being discipled, so for us, it's like, there's a lot of churches out there we could work with. We're not going to work with people, it's same in our church. There's a lot of people that could be disciples, but I'm going to work with the ones that want to be discipled. I'm going to preach. You need to be a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple as a model. I'm going to preach to you. You're going to you'd be a disciple. Here's how it's going to happen. I can't make you come, but if it, you know what? You're going to live in the squalor of your spiritual life, barely surviving, not having the life that God intended for you if all you do is come to church here. Not only does the church not benefit, but you don't benefit. You don't mature. We don't mature. So we're going to go with the goers. A lot of times people spend all their energy trying to get people that don't want to minister to want to minister, and they've got the people that would minister, but we're too busy trying to chase the ones that won't to actually invest in the ones who would. Does that make sense to you? I mean, think about how much energy we, we got to get our people to do this, 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 and this. they got a bunch of people that walk in and not doing anything with the ones who would because you're too busy trying to get all those people out there. And you're, it's opportunity cost. I'm spending so much time on that one and wouldn't. It's like if Jesus would have chased the rich young ruler around. No, wait, wait, wait. And the other guys are standing there going, hey, we're here to be disciples. But wait a minute, just, just, just hang out over there. Wait. And chasing him, chasing him around. He's like, no, here I am. You came. Here's what you're going to do. You don't do it. I hope you come back. I got some guys right here that I'm going to invest in. Does that make sense to you? We lower the 
expectation for everyone because that's where we get most people to settle. We've got to heighten the expectation of those who are disciples of Jesus because they were called to something. Does that make sense to you? So we want to work through the local church. We want the local church to actually make disciples. We want those disciples to actually reach out of the walls outside of those places. We've got people that are doing that here. We'll connect them with people that are doing that there. And then, uh, and then we'll support that church. Now, I full well that, you know, as that church takes off, people start going, well, what's going on? What's happening? Well, it's not lowering the bar. It's raising the bar. And people are stepping up to raise through the bar. And they're getting to experience amazing things rather than regular everyday things. Because, you know, you're actually stepping out in faith. And then people start, you know, and it's, and then it starts a national movement from a local church who you just set up to be the hero and all you did is point to Jesus and said, let's just do what he actually said. Does that make sense to you? Good start. All right. Thanks, Jim. Well, we're going to come back to Jim in a little while. Anybody have a question about what he just went over? Remember, if you, if you can stump him, you get a bonus. So, No hard questions? Yes, sir. I, I have a question. Um, what about, I've encountered a number of individuals that are socially awkward, some disabilities, they're they very much, they've got some time, they got a passionate heart. One guy's on the bus, he's talking to everyone about Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, and he just makes more problems when, you know, for, for, for sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't dare stop him, I use him as an example, mm-hmm. but, yeah. you know, to invest in him and group, you know, nobody's, nobody wants Mm. him in their group because they think it's a waste of time. But that, So when you're looking at the who's mm-hmm. and you know that somebody that there's only so far they're going to go. Right? What do you do with someone like that? Mm. Okay. Well, Bible says that, the, that some parts of the body you cover in modesty, right? It's not, you're not a one size fits all. It's not the same expectations for everybody. Everybody's to be a disciple, not everybody's a leader. Everybody can can influence a person, not every, but some can influence more than one. And so you're not expecting a one size fits all. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I would first of all go, if everybody in our group doesn't want that guy to be in a group, that means I have a spiritually immature group. Right? A spiritually immature group. Which means I need to say, hey, that's a hard guy. We don't just avoid hard guys. We're the we're the, the hard guy in Jesus' small group. You know, we're the ones that are broken in his. It's all relative, right? Now, again, that if it's if they're out of control or they're it's just like you know special needs or they they're making it so that you can't grow, then you don't do. It's not a one size fits all for everybody. It might be that I separate him out and spend some time alone with him, or raise up somebody to spend time not because he's not worth it. But it's just not beneficial for everybody, right? And so um, how do I create an environment where somebody has a passion for that and you, and you, you have them, we have what's called um, um, the Eagle's Nest at our church. It's a special needs ministry for special needs kids. The parents are exhausted. Parents get to go to church. We have some people that their passion is ministering to these special needs kids. I mean, that's their passion. And so they eat it up. Now, not everybody has that passion. And then we celebrate them. 
Right? Because that's a calling. That it, and, but if you're saying everyone's saved and everyone's got a calling, it's not even what you really like to do. It's what's the need. And you're laying down your life for Jesus. That's, that's maturity in Christ. So if I had people that were being too snobby in a group and I had somebody that's kind of out of control, I have two problems. Got to deal with the snobbiness and humble some people. At the same time, it may not be best for that guy in the group or the group. So I got to deal with it too, maybe in a different way. And give somebody an opportunity to step into that place or do it in a different way. So there's not a... <coughs> you're dealing with each individual person, um, but also thinking about group dynamics and what's best for the group. And it's usually both in. Thanks, Jim. Can I, can I mention a real life example? Um, someone actually in my church has actually been using your, 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 uh, your curriculum for a really long time. But he ministered to this guy who has autism. And, but he's Asperger's. He's a very high functioning, but he's socially awkward. Been meeting with him once, about once a week for, for six years. Our church has a special needs class called Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Out, sorry, Saturday Night Out. <laughs> so Saturday Night Out. And he's been coming. So there, there was a way we plugged him to a special needs group where he's actually going with other people who have special needs, like people who have spotted different and other physical needs. And so they're actually coming to our class because he, he, he chose to spend his time with him, and then he found a way to plug him into another place to help him. Because there's different places to, to minister to people like that besides just people we think they're cognitively functional like we are, well-educated, not everybody is. And so we have to adjust that to fit, fit the needs of those companies. Just my well, I'd like to give you an example. We had at one of our campuses, we didn't have a special needs class. So this 30-year-old boy, child, a three-year-old man is being dropped off in a nursery. And we got parents who are brand new believers or not believers at all going, why is there a 30-year-old man with my kids, right? He looks like a 30-year-old man. We had to go, I'm sorry, we're not going to do, this is getting to be a problem. We're going to move him over to the Eagle's Nest at the Post Falls campus. Well, I don't want to do that. I want him to be in there with those kids. Well, we love you. We're not saying you don't have any place for this kid. Um, we've got a place for them, but it is right that, you know, people don't even give you a chance. A, 30, a, a brand new believer or a non-believer isn't going to let a 30-year-old man play with his kids. Okay? Now, if, it, if I've got mature believers who aren't getting it, that's one thing. But this isn't a class just for mature believers' kids. So they're mad. Having people mad, you listening to them and trying your best to figure out doesn't mean you give them what you want. Right, And so there's nuances to all this, and somebody's going to be mad, but you have to stand before the Lord and go, raising people up, helping them get more mature. Um, church work is messy work. Has anybody else ever noticed that? <laughs> all right. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let's hit a little bit, just thinking about the, the shifting to discipleship-focused international missions, and we're going to kind of look at, at two ends of this. We're going to say... This is home base, and this is in the foreign country, right? So a couple of scriptures we're going to start out with. Uh, you guys know the story of Moses and Jethro in Exodus 18, where uh, the uh, Israelites have just won that battle over the Amalekites. Jethro has been watching uh, Moses's or had Moses' wife and kids with him. He comes to Moses' camp. He hears what the Lord has done. They celebrate. Then the next day, Jethro watches Moses all day long, hear the, the complaints and questions of the people. And at the end, Jethro says, hey, 
Uh, here's some counsel if you listen. The thing what you're doing is not good because it's going to wear you out and wear the people out. And then he says, you know, test this out, see if it's from God. Appoint leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. But the verse I want to center on is in Exodus 18.21. If somebody could just read that out loud for us. You got it? All right. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders of a group of 1,150 and 10. All right. And once again, the first part, what kind of men? Uh, capable, capable, honest, honest men. Okay. Uh, so what is Jethro telling Moses to do as far as identifying leaders? Capable. Capable, honest, God-fearing. What he's describing is characteristics. Uh, he's not saying appoint the, the richest people out of the people or appoint the best looking or appoint the best dressed or appoint the, the ones that have the fanciest titles. He's saying he's actually going to <coughs> spiritual maturity type assessments, right? We see the same thing in Acts 6.3 where early church... There's a complaint that comes up from the Greek widows. We're not getting our fair share of the food. Uh, the apostles come together and they say, you know, we've got our roles. And so we're not going to fill this ministry. But church, why don't you select men to do that? And we'll form a ministry team here. And if somebody can read Acts 6.3, there's some guidance there from the apostles on who should be on that ministry team. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. You will turn this responsibility over to them. Yep. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. So again, he's not looking at outside characteristics. Now, hey, that new businessman who just came into your church and looks really good and, uh, and, and is successful in the community, he's, he's zeroing in on spiritual characteristics spiritual maturity, and says, these are the kind of people you want to form those teams. So in the same way, as we're looking at how are we going to do discipleship-focused missions, and who, who will be on the team that's doing it, who will we work with in other countries, part of this has to come back to spiritual maturity. And practitioners, I like that word, Jim used that in the last session, practitioners, what does that mean? Everybody's like, well, I can't say people have practiced it because you can't use the word in the definition. Right? So, okay, so people who are doing it, 
Doing what? Okay, disciple making. And again, this is just kind of a pet thing with me, so bear with me here. Not only making disciples, but being disciples of Jesus who are growing, because who we are, that's what we're going to reproduce, right? So a practitioner would be somebody who is is a committed disciple of Jesus who's growing still and who is making disciples of Jesus. Why would we pick anybody but that to go internationally to help a pastor lead a disciple-making church? It just wouldn't make any sense, would it, to pick somebody who's not a committed disciple of Jesus growing and who's not personally making disciples in their own life. So that's going to be part of the criteria. Let's start with kind of this list. The senior pastor. So we're talking about home-based church. Uh, how many in here are senior lead pastors? Okay. Thank you. couple. So on the, this is going to be our missions team. So on the missions team, if the senior pastor of your church at home base is not aligned with this vision, mission, and process, what's going to happen? It's not going to work. Not, thank you. Yes, succinct. I like that. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's, it's actually probably going to have problems. It, maybe there'll be a little bit of fruit, but it's going to be division, contention, uh, not unity, alignment. So in this part with the senior pastor, we're looking for alignment, same language, same vision, pulling in the same direction. That, that needs to be a must if it's going to bear fruit and be really successful. That also means we want the senior pastor at home base to, be, to believe in this and be living it out, right? So when, when I go to another country and we're starting to share this with pastors and I'm able to say our senior pastor, Jim Putman, leads a small group, in fact, leads more than one small group. Our senior pastor, Jim, Pat, Jim Putman, is making disciples, not just in the past, but present day at our church. And he's a fairly busy guy. You know, he's... I he's make this clarification. Yeah. Making disciples in relationship. Because mm-hmm. all the pastors say I'm making disciples. Oh, that's good. That's good. And, you know, you're preaching, and that plays a part of creating a culture, but we're talking about personal disciple-making. That's good. And so, and again, explaining that, part of explaining that to the pastors we're working with overseas is, is getting that common language so they understand that when we say making disciples, that's what we're talking about. Because they won't understand that at first. Does that make sense? Okay. So senior pastor living it out, aligned with that vision, mission, and process. And let's just say, you're, maybe you're thinking in your situation, well, that's not the case. So what do I do? The very minimum at any time is that I can be a disciple of Jesus who's growing and make disciples on a personal level. And maybe that's all I can do at this point. I can share the vision with my pastor if he's not on board yet. Maybe he just hasn't looked at it. Is he willing to have conversations? Is he willing to come to a training? Is he willing to explore it in books, conversations, relationship? So we can move that way. Uh, but it's, it's not okay for me to say, well, he's not on board, so I can't do any of it. No, I can do it on a personal level. And if that's the only thing I can do, then that's what I'm going to do, right? But this is what we want, because as the head of the church goes, we know Jesus is the head, but in the local church, as the pastor is the leader of the church, as the pastor goes, so goes the body. 
So we want that alignment there, that unity theologically, philosophically on how to do the ministry, the process we're going to use, discipleship-focused international missions. Organizationally, is the church structured in such a way to that that's going to be the outcome? Because if we say, this is my target, but my structure, my budget, my, my setup is leading me this way, then that's not going to work. So alignment with senior pastor and the, and the leader of the missions team. And this comes in lots of formats, right? Some churches have mission committee. Some have a mission pastor. Some have a mission leader. Sometimes it's a volunteer. Uh, so whatever that looks like, is it organized in such a way that this is, is going to be attainable? The, the mission leader themselves. Who are we looking for in the missions leader? What are some of the characteristics or requirements you would think? Being a disciple and also being a disciple. Being a disciple of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus personally. What else? I would want to see what kind of disciples they've made. Are they reproducing disciples? So it's not, if you're making disciples, you make disciples and make disciples. So, so 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Yeah. Reproducing to second, third generations. You're on the Ford Field now, right? This is the mission. Team. No, this is still home base. Oh, we'll, okay. we'll go home base missions team okay. here. Home base, and this would be in the international. So home base, we want that that missions leader in your church. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's somebody else. What we want them to be a disciple of Jesus, who's making disciples and making disciples who make disciples. Because that's what we're going to expect them to be able to lead, guide, and reproduce in the, in the field, right? Anything else? Shouldn't he have all the characteristics in Acts 3 and Exodus? Okay. So we'll just maybe sum that up to say somebody who is spiritually mature and growing. So somebody who is trying to become, is becoming more like Jesus, who loves God and loves others who plays that out in all the spheres of their lives, at home, at work, in the church, in the community. Okay. Anything else? Humility. Humility, yeah. Yep. Humility. And if that's, our, if that's the leader of our mission team, then have some leadership skills and abilities and giftings, right? Uh, for me, again, I, I, I'm a convert to this. This person needs to be able to build a team. You might say, well, my church is so small, it could just be me. I am the team. My belief would be, uh, in order to grow, to, to be, uh, have the fruit, we should always be looking to grow a team. Invest in others, develop others. You know, maybe, it's, maybe it's slow, maybe it's small scale, or maybe it's bigger. It depends. But there is... Again, in my own experience, here, here was my thought process. First year on staff, I don't want to build a team because that will slow me down. I can do more in one year than, than this team. It's going to suck all the time out of me. And so by the second year, I'm convinced I've got to build a team, but I'm still thinking the same way. So I start to build a team, and guess what? I only got half as much done, and it sucked all the time out of me. But by the third year... Now all of a sudden we got twice as much done as I could do by myself. And now in the in the twelfth year, we're getting a hundred times done what I could do by myself. So go slow to go fast. You want somebody who's going to be committed to developing others in that team building thing. Uh, here's a some of you have read some of John Maxwell's stuff, I'm sure. 
So here's a real quick thing that might help us look for a leader there, is to say uh, the lowest level of leadership is a leader with a title, and that's all they've got. So if we say, hey, you're the missions team leader, and the missions team leader is like, I'm the missions team leader, and that's all they've got is the title, and they try to start telling people to do stuff, will the people follow that leader? Not usually, or the ones that do, why are they following that leader? They're afraid. Yeah. Well, he's the boss. He's got the title. He's telling me to do it. I guess I better do it if that's all he's got. Second level here would be, okay, you've got the role, you've got the title, but it's a leader who builds relationship with people. So you begin to care about people, pour into their lives, ask about their family, spend some time with them, build some relationship. Now that leader asks you to do something, will people do it? a lot more apt to do it. Why? Well, he's the boss, and he cares about me. He's shown me that he cares some about me. Third level, a leader who has the title, builds relationship with the people, and has shown fruit in the ministry, has been successful. In other words, we'll just put it in sports context and say, here's a coach of, uh, let's pick a real sport, not like wrestling or anything, but like a real sport, um, like basketball, right? Or volleyball, you know. <laughs> this will cost me later. Okay, uh, so, so, you know, like girls basketball team. There's a real sport. So uh, a coach of a girls basketball team, they, they've got the title, and, and the girls know, hey, this lady, she cares about me. She's, uh, she's uh, interested in my family. She's trying to help me in things. And, and, and she's won three state championships with other teams. Shown some fruit in the ministry. So in discipleship terms, this person has dis- is a disciple who's growing, disciples others, and, and even his disciples are making disciples who are making disciples. So when he tells me something, I'm going to listen to him. He's got the title, he's building a relationship with me, and I know he's been successful. And then fourth level would be this person does all those other three things, but they also invest in and develop their team invest in and develop their team. So that means you're a team member, that person is is building relationship, they've been successful, but they're also giving you opportunities to grow and play, uh, giving you new responsibilities, uh, encouraging you, celebrating the things that you're doing. They're gonna invest in, send you to a seminar, uh, take you with them on a trip, those kind of things where you're like, man, they're not just getting work out of me, they're actually trying to help me grow and develop. So I will follow that leader a lot, right? And and then fifth level will be somebody that's developing people enough to where they can replace, the leader can replace themselves or have people go out to lead other ministries. So you're looking for a team leader or you as a team leader want to be that type of leader, right? And all all those traits, we can go back and do biblical examples of those, right? Okay. On the team, who do you want on the team? Who are we looking for to go on the team? Well, this is what I look for on my team. Uh, faithful, available, teachable, um, passionate about the mission, um, in line with our doctrine, and no unconfessed sins. Or We don't use those words, but it's okay. basically God's told them to change their life and they're, they, they're rebelled. You want people that are rebelling? No, I 
No, that are, are not rebelling. rebelling. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. I have better words. Yeah. No, that's fine. Okay, so you've got some some traits that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. That's good. You, you know, um, so in ministry, sometimes what's the requirement to have somebody come on your team? Sometimes in ministry, the requirement is they're that they're breathing. Yeah, <laughs> they're breathing, and you can beg them to come on your team. They'll actually do right. it, <laughs> or at least some of it. Or try. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They said yes. So that's you know, but in in real ministry, that's going to bear fruit and be successful. We want people that are willing to be faithful, humble, teachable, those things you're saying, commit, grow. In other words, we want growing disciples of Jesus, right? That are, that are becoming more and more spiritually mature. We want people that are practitioners. Now, as the leader, I got to be a practitioner. You got to be a tra- practitioner doing those things. What if, what if some people show some promise uh, on my team, but they're not there yet? They're, they're not they're being a disciple and growing some, and they're trying to disciple people, but they haven't had a lot of success. Do I just say, nope, sorry, can't be on the team? Because we're looking for this standard, and you're only here? I usually add them to the team. And why do you do that? Um, Because it's better to take that chance. The only problem is sometimes if it's like where the person has to like there's a skill involved or something, it can okay. mess that up. But yeah. in general, it's just uh, bring them on now, and and we got already other people on the team. Let's make it happen. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yep, Jamie. I I look for their hearts, a heart, uh, someone for someone after the Lord's heart, and we're we are always going to make mistakes too. So you know, yeah, I think yeah. I would expect that that to happen. From yeah. Team. Okay. So, on your team, is there a pathway for these people to keep growing? Are, you, are we equipping them as they come on the team? So, we would say, on our team, we'd say, here's somebody. We had a young family come to us, and they, and they said, you know, we really are passionate about missions. We want to be fully engaged. Can we be a part of the team? And as we assessed where they were at, and they self-assessed, it was like, okay, are you in a small group? Yes. Are you a member of the church? Yes. Are you in a small group? Yes. Uh, where have you been serving? Well, we really haven't been serving. Uh, you know, tell us about your life. Well, we've had some struggles in our marriage. We've had some struggles earlier on with addictions and things like that. That's in the past, but our marriage is still, we want to strengthen that more. Uh, you know, are you discipling anybody? Is anybody discipling you? We get this picture of them, and really, we, we see they're pretty young in the faith, but they have a heart and a desire. So we say, Come on the team. Let's put you, let's connect you with this couple that's already on the team that can disciple you, and let's get you moving along that pathway. Now, we're about three years in with them. This is the first year they're now leading a small group, and they are discipling people. They are not coach, what we call coaching internationally for us yet, but they're on the pathway to do that. And they're okay that it's taken a few years to get there, and we're okay that it's taken a few. So we have to be you wise. You explain that to them. You explain to the person, yeah. this is what we're doing. You're yeah. on this pathway. Yep. And, um, yeah. And, and again. You notice one thing about this, guys, is if you're going to coach them, you're going to have a pathway you're going to coach them. You have to be able to evaluate where they are, and you have to be willing to have loving, heart conversations. If you can't coach people, mm-hmm. you're not a disciple maker. 
You're a coach. Have you ever seen a football team where the guy says, just go out and play, and I'm not going to say anything to you, and maybe you'll rise to the top, maybe you won't? I mean, in the church, we're so polite, we don't want to have hard conversations. Now, all you do is have hard conversation, not encouraging and loving. Well, that's not good. But to tell them that you love them, one of the things that Dave does is Dave will tell you straight exactly how he feels, but you'll, you'll be kind of wrapped in a, in, a, in a hug. But you have no doubt about, okay, he wants me on the team, but he, he sees that I'm good at this, and he wants that to grow, but he sees that I need to grow in this, and he's given me an opportunity to do that. And I'm going to be on the team, and okay. you got to embrace that you're their coach and a cycle maker. Well, one of the questions you just asked was, um, if someone doesn't have everything, do I invite them on the team? I invite them on the team, but what I found out is if I don't invite them on the team, they leave. Yeah. So, well, I would invite them on the team with conditions. So would Dave. So you can be on the team with these conditions. This is the hope. Right. This is what you're not ready for. This is what we'd like right. to get you ready for. So we have on our team, we have, te so our team is called the International Discipleship Team, Real Life International Discipleship. And on our team, we have team members, and we have coaches in training, and we have coaches, and we have regional leaders of coaches, and we have a core team that leads the other overall team. So again, it's scalable depending on size, but people can come on as team members and team members are learning how to be coaches or learning how to be a part of the team. And so they have, there's some expectations, but also they don't have to be fully equipped and trained to come on at that point. And you have a night where you train them? Or yeah, we have, reg so we have several different kinds of training. We have training by discipling relationships, which are, so we're doing two things at once. We're helping people grow as disciples of Jesus who make disciples. And we're helping equip them for the, the skills of the calling to be internationally international discipleship coaches. And what you do, is that different than what you do? Or like if someone goes through your pathway, right? Um, are you doing a lot of the same stuff? Or is it... Yeah, I'd say we, we're doing it. They have to be disciple makers, and that's standard for everybody. Before they join his team, they have to... Well, have no. No. But, well, I see Jim's, I'm doing it for a specific ministry. Yeah. This, it's the process all ministry leaders are using at Real Life Ministries. And Jim uses it. And the process is we're, we're in relationship and we're helping people grow as disciples and become disciple makers and grow in that. And we're also, if it's ministry related, we're equipping them and training them in the skill and, and requirements and, and abilities to do that ministry. Right. So then you have different teams that a person could join. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I guess that yep. was my question. Yeah. yeah. And in every one of them, though, here's what a disciple is. Here's what a mature person does. And so we've got people in the worship team. They have a specific skill set of playing in music. But you have to be in a small group and be a mature disciple of Jesus who happens to sing. <laughs> you have to be a small group. So you're using your singing, your singing group as a ministry? Every ministry yeah. in our church. You don't get to be a leader or even involved in ministry unless you are a member of a church which says you are in a small group being discipled. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're going to work in children's ministry, what small group are you in during midweek? Right. So, so for me... I look at my calling, my role in the ministry. I'm the international discipleship pastor, which means I'm supposed to be helping pastors around the world 
follow Jesus' model of discipleship and grow and multiply and produce disciple-making churches. That's half my job. My other half is at home base, I am with my team helping them grow as disciples and disciple-makers and helping them grow in spiritual maturity. And to me, and Jim might disagree, this is how I look at it, those are equally important halves. Maybe this part's even more important because if this part works right, that part's going to work right. But so that's a different, you know, what Jim's talking about, that's a different philosophy. Like in some churches, if you're going to be the worship leader, how good are you at leading worship? How, how's your expertise musically? Okay, you're hired. It's got nothing to do with the discipleship. That's not going to happen in real life. Yeah, if, you don't, if you're not in a small group and you're not making disciples, I, we wouldn't even consider you for a job in worship ministry. Just because you can sing doesn't make you mature in Christ. So what? You're actually, if, if you can sing and draw people to you and you're immature, you're actually dangerous. Mm. Yeah. So here's another quick bonus. Uh, this is why I don't write on the board because that's my writing. This is Janelle's writing. This is my writing. But, uh, so relational depth and equity. So, because this will be important. We're talking about as you're building your team, as you're a part of the team, or you're leading the team, you're, you're building the team, or even as you're interacting with your senior pastor or other people, in your, there, your, hard conversations are going to be needed at times. The way those conversations are going to go is going to depend on relational depth and equity. So if I'm going to have, a, if, if Fernando needs to come to me and have a hard conversation where he sees something that, that he believes I'm not doing correctly or it's impacted him, I've offended him, either intentionally or unintentionally, whatever it is, Fernando's going to come to me and have that conversation with me. If Fernando and I have a relationship with, with pretty good depth, in other words, we know each other, we've been in each other's lives, we care about each other, I know that he cares about me, and, and I know that he's not just... Uh, doing a job and doesn't even care about me, but he wants me to do something for him. In other words, there's a real relationship here and it's gone beneath the surface and it's deep. Then that conversation is going to go better. If there's equity in the relationship, which means actually Fernando knows me so well that he knows that our youngest son is struggling right now, big time. And he's asked about that. He's prayed for me, for, with me for my son uh, I have people on my team that have even uh, taken my son into their home for a while and let him stay there with them as we've been on a trip. Those people have equity with me. And when we have a hard conversation and they come at me with something and we have this, I'm going to hear that conversation because I know they love me and care about me. So as you're building a team, you need to build relational depth and equity to be able to have those conversations kind of conversations. We're going to jump over real quickly before we run out of time to the, the international side of things. This is, is pretty simple, I think, but I could be missing a lot, but pretty simple, I think. So who are the pastors? If I'm going to identify a pastor in another country, whether it's, whether it's Japan or, or Korea or Colombia or, or uh, Pakistan or wherever, another country, I'm going to identify a pastor that, that I believe could be a, a, what we call a key pastor, Somebody that we partner with couple to couple and walk alongside of for years and invest in to help them lead a disciple-making church and reproduce, who, who am I looking for? What are, some, what are some requirements or characteristics or description of that type of pastor? 
Well, they are able to carry out a commitment. So if the person actually okay. said something, they would actually do it. Ah. If that doesn't happen, you're not going in. Yeah. I've never run into that problem of, no, I'm just you kidding. Uh, yeah. no, Excellent. Your, your guy is really good. He has a 50% success rate. Yeah. Yeah. Or he's amazing. not truthful, one of the two. So, okay, so good. Yeah, somebody who's a man of their word, committed, they say they're going to do it, then they'll do it. What else? I think um, they got to be willing to uh, make disciples. Okay. So I want also. Yeah, I like to add, add yeah. one more point. More than it make disciples within their church, they need to be starting friendships with non-believers and ultimately helping people to become a believer. Yep. Because Good. it's easy for people to attract people to their church, um, and I think God wants us to go beyond that. Okay. So we want them to. Be practitioners as well in, in growing as disciples of Jesus and making more disciples. However, I've got to have a realistic expectation that if they've never even heard of this model before, never been trained in it, taught it, discovered I it, I can't, ex yeah, they haven't seen it. I can't expect that to already be happening from the very beginning. But is there a willingness to do that? Remember the pathway? Are they seeking it, discovering it, experience? Are they starting to live it? Do I see that progression continue? then that's the type of person I'm looking for. Also, for us, it's been big. I want a pastor and wife of pastor who are willing to do this together. Because if they're pulling in opposite directions or not fully committed or supported to it, it's not going to go well. Or it's not going to go as fast or as far. So those are some of the basics. Uh, you know, are they, are they people that were willing to commit are they hungry for discipleship? Are they willing to live it out personally? Will they do it as a husband and wife? And that's, that's probably our basic requirements. On down the road, it is interesting to me that as we're doing this process, either we will discover that God has connected us with what we would call a pastor of pastors. Like we start working with somebody and early on we just go, oh, by the way, they lead the pastoral association in their town and that's 82 pastors. So that as we get further down the road, that's already an opportunity to multiply an influence that they have. Or sometimes they become that pastor like Ronald. He was a pastor of one little church. Now he's the head of a network of 32 churches. Yes, sir. What about resilience? Seems like there's a lot of rejection in this field. <laughs> so are you looking for people who can handle rejection? Yeah, you bet. I mean, that's part of the job description of a senior pastor, isn't it? <laughs> well, that to me is that unless you're resilient, you're not really mature disciple, right? So we're looking for people who, based on what they know, they've lived it out. And they've hung in there. Like Ronald was willing to be persecuted. Ronald's been through all kinds of terrible things. We already know what kind of character he has. Our, our pastor in Pakistan, they're trying to blow him up, kill him. He's a, he's a Christ father, but he's never heard of the really discipleship process. So we kind of have this little dating period. We're like, we're going to give you some stuff. We're going to see what uh -huh. you do with it. Uh -huh. And you really, I mean, you you dove in. You wanted more. You ate it up. You did what we asked you to do. Because, again, you guys know this. There's a lot of people out there around the world that just want money. Just, let us, just give us money. Take care of us. So we're trying to come up with a weeding out sort of process to go, who's really committed to this? Who's really going to live this out? And as they live it out, now we give them more. Your faithful little will give you more information, more time, mm -hmm. more, you know, and, and, you know, 
now we've got a pastor that's making disciples right there, and, it, it, and it's awesome. Yeah. So it is almost like a dating relationship in a way, but it's a it's a partnership where it's like, okay, we'll do this. We ask you to do this. Okay, then we'll give you more. You do, you know, and it just it keeps growing that way. Uh, really important, you know, two two basic questions in the who is. Do you have the right people on the bus? Whether that bus is your team or the team you're working with internationally, do you have the right people? And are they in the right roles on the bus? Are they in the right seats? So for instance, a lot of times you have a mission organization, organization, parachurch, whatever that, that you're connected with, or you have the missions team in your church. And how long has that been the way it is? You know, 10 years, 20 years, 150 years, and people are entrenched in it. So the who is really important. And part of this, I'll just give you one example, and then I'll see if Jim has anything else, and then we'll close. But one example would be a church in Australia we work with where the, the senior pastor read one of Jim's books, flew over to America, came to one of our Discipleship One trainings, really impacted him. At a head and heart level, he was willing to live it out personally. We started that conversation and that dance and started, he was doing more, we're giving him more, he's doing more. And it got to a point of where his core team, his, his eldership was a couple were on board and three or four weren't. And the ones that weren't had been in that spot, you know, for 25 years and they had their ways of doing things and they were not interested in the new thing. And so in relationship and over time, they... They moved to have the actual quali- or actual role and job description of the elders to include being a disciple who makes disciples, being in a small group, being a, these things, and and then they gave those elders that opportunity. Do you do you want to be in this role or not? And three of them deselected themselves. They're like, no, that's we didn't sign up for that. That's not what we want. But there was enough relational depth and equity in what what the pastor did with them that none of them left the church, which, I mean, that's a big victory. Mm-hmm. So working through getting the right people on the bus in the right seats but to allow it to is, go. There was a time where he, they weren't actually living it out full scale yet. Pastor was, mm-hmm. but he was working hard to do the underlying political things he had to do to get it there. But we knew he was in, we invested in him because of what he was handling and doing, even though it hadn't come to fruition yet. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So always working from the senior pastor and his wife out to a core team, to staff, to leadership, to key volunteers, to volunteer. Um, let's see, as Jim, if he has any last words for us, famous last words, if you haven't got one of these, feel free to take one. If you haven't, uh, put your contact information down. We'd love to stay in touch and can share some tools and more conversations with you. Janelle's going to pass that around. Jim, anything? No, I, it's like anything, guys. You can go to a seminar, and there are so many nuances and so many discussions. All this is meant to do is like get you started to be, to be in a relationship. The cool thing about a relationship is it's not like you're taking notes and you have to remember what somebody said. Half of what you, you're here right now, you won't use right now, you'll forget about it, you've got to go back to your work. But if you have a friendship, you call them on the phone and go, i got a problem. I don't know what to do with this. That's what you're, It's like discipleship, too. Discipleship with somebody that has a relationship is different than... I don't know my senior pastor, I'll go sit and listen to him. I have questions, but I never even know who to ask. Starting a relationship with guys gives you the ability to reach out at the right time to have the right discussions. 
And I would just say, I, I've been doing this a long time, see a lot of missions pastors, and, and Dave and Janelle Campbell are the best I have ever known at having not a lot of money, not usually asking for it, you know, bigger budgets, bigger stuff, making something that's so much more massive than I could ever live and imagine through common everyday people in relationship. And it's possible, and, and I'm super grateful that I get to be on the team with them. And if, you, if I had a chance in your role to be in a conversation with Dave, I'd take it every day. I do take it every day. You know, his desk is right next to mine. So, um, it's a great opportunity. And he's terrible at cringe. So he just, Man, <laughs> you were doing so well. That's right. Yeah. No, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to mention that I'm beating Jim this year. I'm just not even going to bring that up. Uh, would you pray for us, Pastor? Thanks, Lord, for these folks, and just pray, Lord. We just want the whole world to know about you. We want to bring you glory and do things the way you want us to do it. And we're thank you for your grace. You know, so often we're doing the very best we can. We don't even know any different. You bless it. You work in it, and then you show us something new. And, we take off again, and, and you know, it's just this journey it never ends. Thanks for letting us be a part of what you're doing. And uh, Lord, uh, I just pray you come back quickly. Let's get this whole thing over with. You. So until then, Lord, help us be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you guys. Those of you who did all four sessions, you can collect your bonus check at the end. Appreciate that. Well, that totally wraps up Real Life Ministries track sessions from last year's forum. I hope that you enjoyed all of those. I want to remind you to please check out our sponsors at betterman.com, churchteams.com, and occ.edu slash masters. And also, if you don't have this on your calendar already, the next forum is coming up really quickly. It's in April. You can go to discipleship.org and buy your tickets. It's up in Indianapolis, Indiana this year, and I just got a feeling like it's going to be an incredible time. Right now is the cheapest you can get those tickets, so head on over there and buy those and enjoy your time while you're there. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.